Today we're going to continue um, our study of Psalm 46. And so uh, let me begin by reading for you uh, Psalm 46, verses 1 through 11. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. For those of you who missed out on last Sunday, we talked about the importance of learning how to be still before the Lord. We talked about how being still is crucial to our spiritual health and development. We talked about how being still enables us to go from simply seeing God to beholding Him. How being still enables us or protects us from believing the lie that we are God that it gives God the opportunity to remind us that we are children of God. Yet for all of its benefits, for all of its importance, we continue to struggle to be still. You and I struggle to carve out regular rhythms of Sabbath so that we can rest and receive God's grace. Let me ask you, How many of us here this past week took time out to be still before the Lord? To have unhurried time communing with God? Many of our lives are not marked by rhythms of grace. Rather, they're marked by an unending stream of work errands and kids' activities, punctuated by church, entertainment, and friends. Don't get me wrong, all of these things are important to us, but what's often often missing is our unhurried one-on-one time with the Lord. I have a confession to make. Uh, It's been two weeks since I've been back from my four-month sabbatical. And as you can imagine, the amount of work waiting for me was quite large. The number of projects I want to begin, the number of meetings I need to have, have stacked up 
And so these past two weeks have been extremely busy for me to the point where this past Wednesday, I came to the sober realization, wait, I haven't taken a Sabbath. Here I am preaching and teaching on the importance of taking Sabbath, and I realized, wait, these past 10 days, I haven't done that. And so immediately I thought, okay, then when can I do that? And my response to that question was, God, I don't have time. And then, of course, I sobered up, and the Holy Spirit, thankfully, enabled me to carve out my my Friday afternoon to spend with the Lord, and I'm so thankful for that. But I share this story to let you know that I am right there with you when it comes to being deliberate and taking advantage of this command God has given us to rest in Him, to rest from our worldly labors and to engage Him actively. So why is it so hard for us to be still? Why is it so hard for us to accept God's invitation to rest. I thought about this, and I think the answer is somewhat ironic. The reason why it's so hard for you and I to obey the Sabbath is because we are too busy trying to secure our own rest. The reason why it's so hard for us to rest and be still is because we are too busy trying to earn our own rest. We reject the rest of God and say, God, no, 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 I'm too busy. I need to do these things because I believe these things will give me the rest that I need. Underneath all of our frenetic activity, our workaholism, our shuttling our kids around from piano to taekwondo to baseball is the belief that if we work just a little bit more, if we earn just a little bit more, if we play just a little bit more, if we vacation just a little bit more, then finally we'll experience the rest our hearts crave. It's the belief that our lives will be made complete. No, God, I can't rest. I need to first do this because if I really do well on this school project, then I can rest. If my kids become multi-talented scholars, baseball player, uh, uh, and a national merit scholar, then I will experience that rest. If I go on this vacation, just like the commercial says, then I will rest. I'm too busy, Lord, to be still. I need to first do these things. The relationship between rest and work can actually be traced back to creation. We see this in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 where we find the fourth commandment given to Israel. In this passage, 
God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in verses 8 through 10, God tells Israel what to do on the Sabbath. Six days you shall work and do all your labor, but on the seventh, stop. And instead, keep it holy. Worship me publicly, privately. Be still and rest. Then in verse 11, he gives us the reason for the Sabbath commandment. The reason why I want you to work six and rest on the seventh is because I did that. I created the heavens and the earth in six days, and after creating the world, that's when I rested. And so he sets the pattern for our Sabbath rest. Work comes first, and then we rest. But notice it's not just any type of work that leads to rest. In Genesis 1, verse 31... This is, what God, this is what it says. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so here we see how good work leads to rest. Only after creating the world in six days, and God looked at what he made and said, it was very good, that's when he rested. In a way, what's being communicated here is that rest must be earned. Rest must be earned. And I think all of us can understand this principle. How many of us have felt the, the rest and the deep satisfaction of turning in an essay to our teacher and receiving an A? Or the satisfaction we, we get from turning in a project at work and our boss says, this is excellent stuff, we can definitely use this. Or even the rest and the satisfaction we gain from a, a victory after a long, hard-fought battle on the basketball court. That was a good win. Even for me, this idea of earning our rest bubbled up in me these past two weeks. As you can imagine, now that I'm back, the most common question I get from all of you is, how was your sabbatical? And when I hear that question, I'll, I'll let you know what I want to say. I want to tell you that my sabbatical was amazing, that my life has forever changed, that me and Jesus are like this, that I struggle with sin no more, that my family is perfect, my health is perfect. It was life-changing. I want, I want to be able to deliver sermons that will lead to a revival. And someone said, now that you're back, do you feel pressure to preach really well? And the answer is yes. Wait, what is that supposed to mean? 
And the reason why I feel this pressure to, to tell you about how much I've changed is because I want you to know that my sabbatical was well-deserved, that I earned it, that I didn't waste it, that you won't be sorry for giving it to me and my family. Again, there's this innate understanding in us that rest must be earned, and we see this patterned after creation. God rested only after he worked six days. But there's more to the Sabbath command than simply communicating the principle that rest follows work. There's something deeper. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, where the author says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is a significant statement because the Hebrews author is basically saying, yeah, I know that Israel practiced the Sabbath every seventh day. I even know that Israel eventually entered the promised land. But you know what? There still remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. They still haven't fully experienced the Sabbath. What the author is doing here is he's pointing to another purpose of the Sabbath. It's to point us to heaven, to God's heavenly rest. And so my Old Testament professor Meredith Klein would tell us the reason why God commands his people to obey the Sabbath is because he wants mankind to know that he was not created for this world. That his ultimate destination was never meant to be this globe. That man's ultimate destination and purpose was to experience God's rest in heaven for eternity. And so here's God telling Adam and Eve, work six days and rest, thinking of how I worked and then rest. But I want you to do this because it's going to be tempting for you to think that this world is all that there is to life. No, 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 no. Man's ultimate purpose, the reason why I created you, is so that one day you and all of my family will experience my heavenly bliss for eternity. And so the Sabbath is meant to orient and remind us we were created for more than this. We were created for the kingdom above. And this explains why this, the concept of heaven is found in so many world religions. As mankind looked into their hearts, they found this yearning for a kingdom of righteousness, holiness, peace, and love. This explains why every children's movie ends with happily ever after. Can you imagine what would happen if in The Little Mermaid, at the end, Ursula wins? 
the sea witch becomes the, the, the overlord of the entire world, and Ariel never regains her voice and becomes a slave. You'd have little kids walking out of the theater traumatized, angry, crying. That's not a good movie. I hate that movie. Dad, why'd you bring me here? It's traumatizing for them because every child has this instinctual expectation that at the end of time, good people win and bad people lose. They have this expectation for heaven where justice is kept. Instilled in all of our hearts then, is this desire and expectation that if I work hard enough, if I'm busy enough, then I will live happily ever after. I will experience this Sabbath rest. But there's a problem, isn't there, to this expectation? There's a complication to our pursuit of happily ever after. Sin happened. The fall happened. The entire world order plunged into darkness and corruption because of the fall. Subsequently, our efforts to secure rest, our efforts to earn God's rest falls short. As Mark Buchanan eloquently writes, work doesn't work. It's broken. Elsewhere, he writes, the lie the taskmasters want you to swallow is that you cannot rest until your work's all done and done better than you're currently doing it. But the truth is the work's never done and never done quite right. It's always more than you can finish and less than you had hoped for. I remember when my kids were younger, they would ask me time to time, Dad, if you weren't a pastor, what occupation would you want to be? And I would think about it, and I would say, actually, if I could choose any of the occupations in the world, I'd be a pastor. <laughs> and they'd be like, what? I'm like, no, I, I love being a pastor. And being away for these past four months have reinforced that calling in me of how much I love being the pastor of New Life. And they'd be like, okay, no, 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 you can't say that. Of all the other occupations, what would you want to be? And remember at the time, we were watching a lot of Food Network, and so I'm like, Guy Fieri of Diners, Drivers, and Dives. Like, that's an amazing job. He gets paid to go around America eating good food. And then my answer would evolve. Actually, Anthony Bourdain, he's not just limited to America. He travels all over the world, beholding amazing sights, eating great food, not just street food like Guy Fieri, but even eats at Michelin star restaurants. He gets paid to travel and eat and enjoy other people's cultures. We say to ourselves, if we had that type of job, 
then we'll live happily ever after. And yet we all know that he didn't. Before he took his own life, in fact, he texted his ex-wife, I hate my fans, I hate being famous, I hate my job, I am lonely and living in constant uncertainty. This is the impact of sin in this world. Even our dream jobs won't deliver the rest our heart crave. Now, I realize that I might be preaching to the choir here. Some of you here have already jumped ship when it comes to finding true rest through your jobs. Some of us here range from an active dislike of your job to a grudging acceptance of your job. The only reason why you continue to work is because you have to. It pays the bills. And so for you... It's not work that you think will give you rest, but perhaps it's leisure. When you daydream at your job, you're daydreaming about your next vacation. Or when you're daydreaming, you're thinking about the day you retire. And so you say to yourself, this will give me the rest that my heart craves. But leisure doesn't quite do that, does it? Vacationing doesn't quite refresh us the way we had hoped. It doesn't rejuvenate us. If it did, then we'd be excited to go back to work. But most of us dread going back to work. How often do we hear the phrase, I need a vacation from my vacation? I am tired after my vacation. I love what Buchanan says about leisure. He says, leisure is what Sabbath becomes when we don't know how to sanctify time. Leisure is Sabbath bereft of the sacred. It is a vacation, literally a vacating, an evacuation. Leisure demands from us more than it gives. Do vacations and leisure give you a changed perspective or outlook? No, that's why when we come back to our classrooms on Mondays, our offices, feelings of dread come our way. Leisure doesn't change us. It just pauses our lives. Any of you guys find the planning of a vacation more enjoyable than the vacation itself? Leisure doesn't change us. It just pauses our lives, puts everything on hold, and then we're back to the grind. So then how do we experience this rest that we were created for? If work is not going to get us there, if leisure is not going to get us there, then what is the path towards this rest our hearts collectively crave? Psalm 46 gives us the answer. In verse 8 the psalmist declares, Come, behold the works of the Lord. Behold the works of the Lord. Here is the answer. The answer is not the works of my hands. The answer is, behold the works of the Lord. 
The answer is not found by looking within, but rather by looking without at our God. And what are these works he directs us to? There's a lot of different aspects he touches on in Psalm 46, but there's one in particular I want to highlight for you. It's found in verse 4, which reads, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. He talks about a river that flows through the city of God and makes its people glad. Every Hebrew who came across this verse would have kind of been puzzled. Why? Because it's common knowledge that there's no river that flows through Jerusalem, the city of God. The closest major river is the Jordan River, which is about 46 miles away from Jerusalem. And so when the psalmist writes about this river that flows through the city of God and makes everyone glad, people are wondering, what in the world are you talking about? But we see that the psalmist is not talking about geography here. He's not talking about a specific place in this world. What he's talking about is the city of God in heaven. Just as the Sabbath points us to man's ultimate destination, heaven, this river points us to that same destination. In fact, this river appears again in the very last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 read, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so John, just like the psalmist, sees the same river, a river flowing through the city of God, bringing gladness and joy to all of its inhabitants. And in verse 17 of Revelation 22, an invitation is made. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. God says, I don't want you to just gaze at this beautiful river. I want you to drink from it. And notice what it says at the very end. Come without price. You don't have to earn your way to this river. It's free. It's free. And that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that this rest that we crave, this rest that we're trying so hard to attain is not achieved by us, but received by us. 
but this might trouble you. You're like, wait, but didn't you just tell me that in creation, God is telling us that rest must be earned? God only rested after six days? So how can it just be freely given to us without price? I think the answer and the tension is relieved when you look at the source of this river God invites us to drink from. In verse 1, where does this river flow from? John says, the throne of God and of the Lamb. This river flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And when we think of Lamb, we think of Jesus. But what act of Jesus? His laying down his life as a sacrifice. In fact, John 19, 34 tells us, when the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, blood and water flowed. Could it be that this river that God invites us to find life in is a river that flows from Jesus' side, flows throughout the world, and God invites everyone who would believe in him to come and drink and experience the rest that we long for? And so therein lies the answer to our dilemma. The rest that God invites us to receive is a rest that was earned by Jesus. It is free for us only because it was costly for him. It is received by us only because it was achieved by him. At the end of Jesus' life, he would utter three very important words. It is finished. It is finished. He's referring to his saving work. He's telling the world, I have done it all so that now my people can simply receive it all. And because it is finished, God invites us to be still. Be still. You don't have to earn your rest. Jesus is the one who lived, suffered, died, and rose from the dead for you. Be still because Jesus is the one who earned your salvation for you. And so what is the answer to our desire and longing for rest? Behold, the works of the Lamb. Receive, rest, and drink deeply from the river of life that flows from his pierced side. And this is what we're about to do in a few moments. Jesus invites us to eat of his body, to drink of his blood. I have done the work so that simply you can come without price. This is why the New Testament church worships on Sunday rather than Saturday. We worship on the first day of the week rather than the last day of the week. 
It's our way of telling the world that we no longer work for rest. Rather, we work out of rest. We're no longer tirelessly trying to earn our rest. That rest begins our week. We've already experienced it and have it in Christ. Dear friends, this world offers many ways, many paths of what it says you need to do in order to live happily ever after. It tells you to be successful. It tells you to be a millionaire. It tells you to find the right mate, the right boyfriend, girlfriend, the right spouse. It tells you to go on the right vacations. It tells you to go to the best school. But none of these things deliver the rest we were created for. Only the work of Christ does. Behold the works of the Lamb. Come to Him. So stop trusting in your busyness to give you the happiness or the peace you long for. Stop. Leveling up on that video game is not going to give you rest. Finishing that Netflix TV series is not going to give you rest. Getting an attaboy from your boss is not going to give you that rest. Your children are not going to give you that rest. Only Jesus. Stop, rest in what he has done, and receive the grace of our God. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that the restlessness of our hearts is real. It's hard for us to be still. We're constantly craving, constantly wanting, constantly buying and consuming, thinking that this or that will still our hearts. But Lord, we know that the only one who finds rest the only rest we have for our restless souls is in you. And Jesus alone is the one who offered a perfect life, offered perfect obedience, and died a sacrificial death. And so, Lord, instead of pursuing this world, Lord, help us to take advantage of Jesus and what he has done for us. And so, Lord, just as you have done for centuries, you do today. You invite us to come to the river of life, to come and drink, to drink without price. Lord, I pray that you would move our hearts today to come to that river that flows from Jesus' side and to drink. Whether we've done it before or whether we've never done it, Help us, Lord, to come to you in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.